Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast, Wrestling Wednesday. My guest today is Chris Campbell. Chris Campbell is a two-time NCAA champion from Iowa. He was also a world champion, and he was the oldest Olympic medalist in U.S. history, total stud, and I'm looking forward to talking to him, so let's bring him in. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Is today your birthday, right? Yeah. Yep. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I saw that on your Wikipedia, it said September 9th, and I was like, I think this is his birthday. It said it was on Facebook, so. Yeah, and I try to hide my birthday in public just because of the, you know, thefts of, uh, personality thefts, but I don't do a very good job. Yeah. <laughs> well, you look great. I saw that today is your 66th birthday, and uh, you look younger than I do. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't feel too young. Yeah, well, is it true that you didn't start wrestling until your senior year of high school? No, that's not true. I wrestled uh, in fourth grade for a year, and then I didn't wrestle again until uh, ninth grade. Um, I wrestled in ninth grade, and then I wrestled uh, in tenth uh, grade, and then my mother wouldn't sign um, any uh, permission slip because she was a Jehovah's Witness. So... Um, I didn't wrestle my senior year. What I did is I went to a junior college and worked out with them the whole year. And then for some reason, my mother decided to sign the, uh, to allow me to wrestle my senior year in high school. So. And you went 30 and zero, and was that in New Jersey? Yeah, 26 and zero, yeah, I think it was 26 and zero, yeah. Wow, in, in New Jersey, which is a single class state, so one of the best wrestling states there is, you were yeah. able to go undefeated. Um, Gardner, what was it, Burrell, Bumgarner, Burrell, Gene Mills, were all from New Jersey, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a great wrestling state. And, uh, I mean, had you ever tried sports before? I mean, you were obviously a good athlete. Yeah, you know, I played football in peewee leagues. That was uh, sort of my first love. Uh, once I got into junior high school, uh, people started moving really fast and hitting really hard. And it just seemed to me that that was a really dangerous sport to participate in, and so for my health, I decided that that wasn't the sport to do. Um, but then I also was playing basketball in, in uh, junior high school, in eighth grade, and it was actually the wrestling coach who came up to me and said, hey, you suck at basketball. Come out for the wrestling team <laughs> next year. And he was right, so. Yeah. yeah. Well, how, how did that senior year go? I mean, were you, were you surprised that you just kept winning? You know, um, I'm one of those dudes who thinks that I'm the best in the world, and that's just that. So um, losing is, is, is the anomaly to me, not winning. Yeah. And how did you end up at Iowa? Was, that, was there any other choice for you, or is that where you always wanted to go? Um, you know, I didn't have I – I don't think when I was in high school I had a concept of going to college. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't – basically, I didn't wrestle until my senior year, um, in any state competitions, uh, nobody knew about me. So um, I had ended up getting a scholarship to Maryland, University of Maryland, um, and I was being recruited by Montclair State, a guy named Richie Softman, was the assistant coach. When I told him I was going to go to the University of Maryland, he said, there's no way I can let you do that with your talent. And if you're not coming to Montclair State, you got to go out and be with Dan Gable. Huh. And it just so happened that Gable had about – I think a month or two before that came out to to our high school uh, or yeah, our high school um, athletic meeting and given a speech. So um, I had met Dan, but for for whatever reason, and this thing it still sort of puzzles me today. I mean, you know, how do you believe a guy coming out of nowhere saying you need to do that? And I just said, yeah, I need to do that. Sold my car and flew out to Iowa and started working in a car factory. And then went to practice at the Iowa uh, Fieldhouse, start working with the guys. So, yeah, I mean, it was it's interesting that for, I guess maybe it was in the, you know, I knew this was the thing for me. And how did your freshman year go? Did you redshirt or did you wrestle right away? No, I won the Big Ten Championships my freshman year. was most outstanding at wrestling in the Big Ten. And as a consequence of that, I got a scholarship. I didn't have a full ride. I didn't have a scholarship until my junior year uh, at <laughs> Iowa. I, I walked on. As a true freshman, after starting your senior year, you won the Big Tens. I was one bad boy. You got to understand. 
thing though. Um, I really I should have placed in the nationals, but I just did some dumb stuff in the match against a, actually a kid from New Jersey uh, who I was beaten to death and ended up losing the match. But um, I think I could have been like third in the nation my senior year, my my freshman year, my freshman year. And then I think I would have I, I I hurt my knee my junior my sophomore year. I definitely won. I, I should have won three national titles. Uh, my my sophomore year, I should have won them. Yeah. How did you do your sophomore year? What'd you place? Second. Okay. I think it was a Mike Lieberman. Like okay. by, by one point, I was basically on one leg because I had my leg all patched up because I just had a knee operation. Wow. That that has to be. I mean, I've talked to a lot of good wrestlers and heard a lot of great stories, but that's about the most amazing thing I've ever heard to be basically a second year wrestler in a big win big tens. And then your third year you made the finals. <laughs> that, that's just crazy to me. Um, third year made the finals of what? You, you said you got second or sixth. In, in what year? Your sophomore year. Oh, where at? In, college in, or? In college. Oh, I got second in the nation. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That, that's the most amazing thing I think I've ever heard as far as uh, wrestling stories. Well, I mean, here's one of the things that you should keep in mind. My junior year, while I didn't wrestle, wrestle for my high school team, I went to junior college. And so I was wrestling with some guys at junior colleges who were state champs, and I religiously went because for me, uh, you know, I'm really happy when I'm – I was really happy when I'm wrestling. I mean, that sort of was my happiest place to be. So yeah. I, I went to practice all the time, and I got to wrestle with some really good guys. I think that, that really helped. And, and your mom knew that you were doing that, but she wasn't? Yeah, I didn't have to get a permission slip to do that. Okay. My mother didn't, I mean, I was not a, a bad kid. I mean, one of the things I think that my mother was uh, grateful for because I was the only child and she was raising me by herself, I never really got into any trouble. I was very, very committed to sort of staying out of trouble and doing the right thing. So um, she never monitored anywhere I went or what, anything I did. Okay. What made her decide to change her mind your senior year? You know, that is like the, what is it called? $100,000 question. And I just think, uh, I, I think it was fate uh, because boy, you know, I ended up having a law degree and, and, and being the world champion and competing in Olympic games. You know, probably none of that would have happened if I hadn't gone out to Iowa. So, um, and, and uh, so, and her signing that allowed me to wrestle my senior year sort of got that ball rolling. Um, I think she just didn't want to say no again. I mean, it was the second time I had done it. I think I even tried to ask her. She came up with no reasons. I, I know I had a couple of cousins who were, they were really wanting me to be a football player, you know, because they thought I was a really good athlete. But I, 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 they probably would have been pressuring her. But I mean, as a Jehovah's Witness, I mean, you know, obviously if she felt that she was doing the right thing because this is what God wanted, I don't think my cousins could have influenced her, but I think she probably saw how much I, I enjoyed wrestling. Yeah. Well, what, what, what is it about Dan Gable that, in your opinion, makes, made him such a great coach? Well, Dan Gable was a great coach uh, because I think he treated each person different according to what they could handle. That's one. He wasn't like a rah-rah, it's my way or highway guy. Uh, right. But he also worked harder than anybody else in the room. So if you were in a room with him, uh, you know, you weren't going to sort of be lackadaisical. And then he could beat your butt while you were wrestling. So, I mean, if, so if you like try to take a day off and he saw you trying to take a day off, he'd wrestle you. And, you know, that was a very long day. Yeah. So you wrestled with him a lot? I wrestled with him probably once a week or so. And he was, he was just a beast. Could you, could you do anything to him? Oh, you know, I have a really funny story. Um, when I was, when Dan Gable came and talked to my, my high school, um, because I was just this cocky kid. I mean, I, uh, I, I, my mouth was bigger than my, you know, my ability. You know, I told him I was going to kick his butt. So <laughs> um, when we go out, so when I go out to the wrestling mat at the gym, the, the gym and field house, uh, we go to wrestle. I took him down in like two seconds. Wow. You know, and, uh, you know, I was feeling good for myself, not realizing that I had like an hour and a half beating. 
and he because it really pissed him off. So he beat me up pretty good. I felt like I had two dislocated. I felt like I had two dislocated shoulders. I had map burns, so the skin was taken off the side on both sides of my my face, uh, and I was in the corner, like in a fetal position after the practice was over. Well, I, I mean this in the nicest way possible, but you are a freak. You were able to take down Dan Gable with the little, I mean, good Lord. That's just. Well, I, look, I'm really quick. And taking him down wasn't the problem. Yeah. The problem was to continue to take him down. Yeah. Uh, uh, that was the problem. Yeah. What, what do you remember most about your two NCAA titles? Um. Well, with respect to my, my senior year, um, it was that I beat Mark Johnson, uh, and I really liked Mark Johnson. So while I was sort of happy about um, winning, I was really sad that Mark hadn't won. Oh, yeah. So that was my, my, my senior year. My junior year, uh, I was wrestling against a kid from Oregon, and uh, in like the semis or the, yeah, I think the semifinals or something, kid almost beat me. Um, and he was really quick. And so that's what I remember about having to go after him nonstop uh, to get the win. And you made your first uh, world team right out of college, right? 1977, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't prepare. I mean, I, I, I could have easily won those world championships and I just didn't prepare properly. And, yeah. I, and I regret that to this day. How did you, you just didn't work out or what do you mean you didn't? I, I worked out, but I mean, I was not like, when, when, when I got serious, I was working out, how Gable would want us to work out. I'd work out in the morning, I'd run, you know, three to four or five miles. I'd be weightlifting. I would be drilling in, 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 the, in the morning, drilling in the afternoon, wrestling in the, in the evening and then watching films. You know, I wasn't committed in 1977. Uh, like I started to be in 79, and 80 to make the Olympic team. So, I mean, I was totally focused on that. And once, and, and then once I got focused on that, there's nobody who's going to touch me. Yeah. Well, in the interview that I saw about Gable talking about you, uh, he said that you were the most talented wrestler he ever had. And that's, that's really saying something. Yeah, definitely a compliment. And I was his first world champion and his first national champion. Nice. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, so how many world teams did you make total? I was, I was reading all about you, but it, it almost got confusing because I was like, you know, you, you've done so much and it, it, it was over such a long period of time. How many teams did you make? I made the 77 team. I made the, of course, the 80 Olympic team, of course, the 81 world team where I won the world championships. Um, I, I, and then I, I made the 1990 world team, 1991 world team. And then, of course, the Olympic Games. Wow. Yeah. Um, does that 1980 boycott, does it still eat at you a little bit? or? Uh, there is nothing that will piss me off more than thinking about that. Really? Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry I brought it up. Because, I mean, basically, that took away my wrestling legacy. I mean, yeah. the way I was competing in 1980, um, you know, I would want – seeing me wrestle in the Olympics at the level I was at, you know, I would have been up there with the Gables and talking about one of the greatest performances. But, I mean, we had a great team as well. Lee Kemp was on the team. Uh, I mean, obviously, I could have been caught lost by mistake. But if, if I hadn't been caught, I was going to beat everybody by over 10 points. Because I was beating uh, Eddie Bannock by over 10 points. I was beating John Peterson over 10 points. And, and Mark Schultz didn't even get to me. But those guys would lose. So, so at the trials, I mean, I was just dominating. Yeah. Um, what, what happened in 1980? I mean, I know there was a boycott, but I was only five years old at the time. So <laughs> what did they boycott it for? You really? You're joking, right? I, I, I truly don't really know. So President Carter, the idiot, sorry. <laughs> felt that, um, because Russia was invading Afghanistan, okay, we should boycott the Olympics. Huh. And so... Um, so he, he, he told the Olympic Committee to boycott the Olympics in 1980. The Olympic Committee appropriately told him no, because the Olympic Charter is not supposed to be political. And then after, after they said no, he brought them in and said, look, I'm going to take away your tax status, uh, your, your nonprofit's tax status, and support under the Amateur Sports Act 
And um, after that threat, then uh, the Olympic Committee said yes, they would boycott. Yeah. Well, how satisfying was that world championship in 1981 then? You know, I, I, I think it's probably one of my greatest moments because um, in, I could say that I was the best in the world at something. And I, I always thought I was the best in the world. But, you know, thinking you're the best in the world and proving you're the best in the world is two different things. Yeah. Um, and when I, when I won the world championships, it was sort of like a mind shift for me because I had looked back on what I had done to become a world champion. And I said, hey, you know what? If I work this hard at anything else that I want to do, I'm going to be successful. And I sort of I used that model uh, to start preparing for law, studying for getting into law school and then going to law school. Um, so it was, for me, it was very significant. Yeah. Did, uh, um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but did the referee tell you that, that you didn't have it anymore when you tried to came back, come back? Is that true? Did I read that right? Well, I don't know if it was, a, well, it may, there may have been referees. I know that there were people telling me, oh, you're too old to think about coming back and you should just stick with the law. Um, but I mean, for me, I was just the happiest I could be when I was in a wrestling room. It's sort of hard for people to understand. I think wrestlers understand it. How many other people play football or basketball if, if they, you know, really become good at it? In order to be really good at it, I think part of it, you've got to just love to do it. Yeah. You know, it's not something – you can't be a great wrestler if you don't like wrestling. Yeah. Um, so I just love being in the wrestling room. Yeah. I, I loved it, but not, not like that. Like, I was a state champion in high school, but that was kind of my – my only goal. And I, I didn't, uh, you know, beyond that, it just, I feel like the guys who excel like yourselves are people who just wanted to get good at wrestling, you know, like, um, because that was probably my biggest thing was I, I didn't, I didn't put in the, the effort as far as the drilling and that kind of stuff. I just wanted to live wrestle and, and, uh, and all that. So I, I regret that. Like if I could go back in time, I would just see how good I could have gotten, you know, that's my biggest regret. Um, I was well, I had, I had Jay Robinson, as a, who was assistant coach at the University of Iowa. And so while Dan Gable was really good at making sure you, you ran and you weightlifted and you wrestled hard, Jay was really strong in making sure you drilled so that your technique is really good. So I had really the best of both worlds. And I had the best coaching, basically, probably available in the country. Most people don't have that. So I was lucky in that respect. Yeah. Um, what, what was it about the Russians that were so tough? And back then, were they just, in your opinion, were they juicing like crazy? You know, it's interesting. Uh, as I look, um, the, um, it's a, so, sort of a long story, but uh, Interpol was, was doing a, investigating some organized crime groups. And what they found when they did that was that um, the Russian wrestlers were juicing. Uh, uh, and they found the period of 1992, which is the Olympic Games. Now, I only lost against the Russians was, was, you know, in the Olympic Games. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if he was juicing, but, you know, they found documents to show that Russia was juicing. And, of course, if you look at a lot of the stuff that happened recently in the Olympic Games, like, for example, when they had the Olympic Games, and I forget where it was, in Russia, you know, they were like, they had spies that were drilling holes through labs to clean up the drug tests. Yeah. So, um, I mean, for me, my biggest problem was because it was hard for me to recover once I started in 90, 1991, even back in the 80s. You know, I could only wrestle three days a week. If I wrestled more than that, I would just break down and I couldn't recover. Uh, so, so it was definitely a disadvantage for me to be wrestling against somebody who, who could recover because they were taking steroids, if they were. Now, I don't know if they were or not, but the records show that that was part of their systematic program at the time. Yeah, well, I've had, uh, I've had Barry Davis, I've had Jim Shear, and, and they were all of the opinion. Uh, Jim Shear said that he wrestled, uh, I watched your match today with uh, Markabet Kartsev, I always say his name wrong, but that Russian, and he said that he was just by far the strongest guy he had ever wrestled. Was that your opinion too? No, the strongest guy I ever wrestled was Lee Kemp. Okay. <laughs> you know, there's no question about that. For pound for pound, he was, inc he was incredible. 
yeah. Mark Johnson was another guy that was that was like touching a brick wall. I mean, you know, uh, I could I couldn't beat Mark Johnson on strength. I had to beat beat him on speed yeah. Um, yeah. because he was unworldly strong. Now I don't think that Mark was juicing at all. I just think that was natural. I never never felt that way uh, okay. about him. Um, and Lee Kemp, of course, I never felt that way about Lee as well. Yeah. Um, but Kardashev was strong, but, you know. Speaking of Lee Kemp, um, I was thinking about him a little bit today because he was on that 80 Olympic team as well. And I know he won three world titles. Is, is he one of the most underrated wrestlers in the United States? Because he's one of those guys that it seems like people don't, talk about him when they when they've mentioned the greats and I'm, i always want to go what about lee kemp that guy was freaking amazing well yeah i mean and you have to understand back when lee and i were doing it the goal was to win world one world championship and retire we it wasn't like it is now where guys understand and and, and feel like they've got to win three or four or five world championships or olympic games to be there so lee is certainly in the top five of American wrestlers, no question. And, yeah. you know, when I would say top five, that would be um, uh, uh, who's it? Uh, who's the guy from Oklahoma? Uh, Leroy Smith. No, not, not, is it Leroy John. Smith? John Smith. John Smith, Bruce Baumgartner. I think you have to put Burrell in there now, right? Um, and, and Lee Kemp. And Dan Gable, I mean, I mean, he's certainly in that conversation of the greatest of all time. There's no question about that. Yeah. Um, I heard you talking about Bruce Baumgartner, about how great he was and, and how you, you couldn't see how he ever lost a match. Um, yeah. Yeah. Man, that guy, I, I, you know, I, I talk to people, and he's another guy that I get kind of ticked off when they talk about the greatest and they don't mention him. I'm like, he made 13 world teams and was a five-time champ. And, and was a 13-time medalist. I mean, just off the charts crazy. Was, what, what was he like? Well, I'll tell you a little funny story about Bruce Bumgarner. And this is, this is another example of where your mouth gets your, your body in trouble. So for, for whatever reason, and I mean, you know, it was all sort of in good spirit. I would go up to Bruce and say, I'm going to kick your butt. I'm going to kick your butt. And he'd look at me like, you know, like this, uh, this poor little child that's not healthy. So, so at the Olympic, at the Olympic, uh, Olympic camp in 92, I actually wrestled with him. And when I wrestled him, I took him down two times right away. And then he got pissed off and again, crushed me. But what I really noticed about him, is he was uh, not only big and strong, but he was really, really fast. I suspect he was faster than most guys I'd wrestled. I, I would say there's only say one or two other guys that were as quick as Bruce was. So for me, I had watched him, feeling him wrestle. It was like, how can anybody beat this guy? That's the way I felt. Now, obviously, he was going against some really tough Russians. and I'm sure if I wrestled him, I'd have felt that way. But for me, it was like, yeah, he's certainly one of the greatest. No question. Did you have a, a, a very good relationship with John Smith? Were you guys friends? I wouldn't say we were friends, but I mean, we were cordial to each other. And, and, I, and I do know, I have one story about him. He was wrestling uh, in the Olympic trials uh, and he lost. Um, and, so, and we had been traveling as a team together for about a year or so. Um, and I went up to him and I, I looked at him, I said, get your shit together. You know, cause I didn't want to be on an Olympic team without John Smith. Uh, and he just looked at me like, I, he was shocked, you know, that I would say something like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But that's what I remember about that. Yeah, I remember he lost. That was back when you could lose. And uh, I remember he lost in the Olympics, too, and still won. That was back when they had a different pool system or however it worked out. Yeah, and he lost to, uh, was it John Fisher, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Who I would like to get on my podcast as well. Because um, he might be the only guy in history that's beaten John Smith and Kerry Colat. Yeah. John Fisher. So. Yeah. 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 Um, what was John Smith like? Well, he was really a uh, humble, uh, low-key guy. He was, like, very intelligent uh, in terms of his strategy and approach at wrestling. You know, I, was, I, I listened to him, and he would talk about how he went about things, how he 
tried to misdirection and all that stuff. And, you know, sort of misdirection wasn't my thing, but that was his. So, and he was really, so I really liked John. Yeah. Yeah. If, uh, and this is kind of a hypothetical, but if you wrestled in today's era where you can, you know, you can literally make a a living, you know, back when you were wrestling late, because you guys had to train as well as like, you still had to work and make a living, right? Right. Yeah. And that was, I think that's the reason why my years from 77 through 79 didn't go that well. Because I was really financial hardships. And some of the period of time I was on food stamps. And so had I had the ability to just totally focus on wrestling, you know, I think I would have had three or four world titles uh, during those, that period of time. Yeah, and, and just, just having a guess, how many world teams do you think you would have made if you would have been able to just wrestle for a living? Yeah. Yeah, um, I think if 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 I would have been if I would have been focused, um, let me see. So I made essentially what five? Uh, yeah, I would say about eight because I'm going to have injuries in there. Maybe ten at the most. Um, and uh, if I would have continued to wrestle, I mean, I think one of the reasons why I was successful when I came back was because I'd taken four years off, so my body wasn't beat up, but I had been doing yoga, still running and lifting, so that my body was still flexible to be able to compete. Um, had I continued to wrestle, I would have continued to get beaten up and I would have had a bunch of injuries, so yeah. hard um, to say. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely hard to say, but it, it'd be interesting to find out. I mean, you were so talented, and, and uh, what would you say your best asset was as a wrestler? Well... My best asset were the coaches that I had. I've had some really great coaches, Gable, um, Jay Robinson, and um, Stan Desert. And also, um, I went to, um, I got help also from um, Agreco, Dan Chandler, in in 1980. In fact, what most people were doing at at the time in 1980, the the book out for me was to uh, tie me up and push me so that I couldn't, couldn't wrestle, couldn't execute my moves because I was quicker than everybody else, right? So speed would be one thing. So I went, uh, I worked a week with Dan Chandler on upper body controls and tie-ups. And, and basically, once I had done that with Dan Chandler, and he was such a great coach, nobody was touching me after that, uh, once I had that figured out. And your upper body was so big, but you weren't super tall. Was it super hard to get to your legs? For me, people couldn't get to my legs because of my speed. I mean, I was I was faster than uh, anybody I would uh, I would wrestle, basically, especially in my prime. There was nobody as fast as me. Yeah. Um. What was I going to ask you about? I was this is kind of off the wall question, but I read that you were. Uh, um, uh, are you a Buddhist? No, I mean I'm I'm a person. I'm a human being. Okay. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, the reason I ask is because I was curious, like, you know, it seems like mostly all people know about Buddhism is is uh, karma, you know, and people love to throw that around. But I'm like, I, I, I'm always curious, like, you know, how would you explain Buddhism to somebody who has no clue about it? Well, I mean, I, I don't I don't claim to be an expert, but I, I did one of the things I was really focusing on was being here now. Uh, and so when you're training hard, you want to be um, relaxed but focused and so some of the buddhist technique was be here now because all you have is now you don't have the past you don't have the future you just have now um and so part of that focus was basically concentrating for you to be here now and if you're here now i mean it's tough to beat for example in 1980 when i was um, going to olympic trials uh, I felt sorry for the guys I was going to wrestle because I knew I was going to beat them by like 10 points. They, they didn't have a shot. Um, yeah. um, but, but that was also because I was doing my sort of deep relaxations, meditations, but also working really hard. You know, you can't have one with you after the other. How, how, would, you, um, how would you tell somebody how to meditate? Because I've tried it several times, but I, I always feel like I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. Well, I don't think one, I don't think there's a wrong way. And, and I don't claim to be an expert on meditations, but the way I did it was I would do counting of breaths. So you basically, you breathe in, you count one, you breathe out, you breathe in, you count two, and you go up to 10. 
and then you start back down at one again. But the trick is, if you forget where you're at, you always start back at one. You don't go seven, oh, I think I'm eight or nine, right? And then while you're sitting there, you need to be in a place where your spine is straight and you're able to relax. While you're sitting there, um, you know, you're trying to not have your mind go other places and think about things like what I have for dinner, what work I got to do. Basically, you're trying to train yourself, train yourself to be here now. And I and so I mean, and I think that's a very powerful uh, form of meditation. Now, there's some people who do meditation where um, you just sit there and you and you chant own, you know, or um, you just try to clear your mind. The technique I used uh, was the counting of the breaths. Okay. Yeah, I'm a comedian for a living, and and a couple of years ago, I I just. You know, I've always had some nerves, but a couple of years ago, I went through this thing where I was getting nervous like days in advance. And so I was trying to meditate and, and it, it did calm me down, but sometimes it almost felt like it calmed me down too much. You know, like, like, just like with wrestling, you almost need a little bit of nerves or something. Um, so that's why I feel like I was doing it wrong. I was like, well, I'm either too anxious or too calm after I do it. So. Yeah. There's no day, no way, no way of doing it wrong. It's the yeah. fact that you're trying to do it. I think is the most important part. Yeah. Do your kids wrestle? How many kids do you have? I have four children, um, and none of them wrestle. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and none of them actually competed athletically for once they got in high school and college. Oh yeah. Why did they? Were they just not interested in wrestling at all, or did you not try to push it on them? Yeah. Yeah, I, look, wrestling is something I would never push on somebody. Yeah. Because wrestling is really hard. Yeah. If you don't love it, I think it would be torture. I mean, I could do it because I loved it, but I was really aware of the fact that, hey, this is a tough sport. If you don't love it, uh, it's cruel to have somebody do something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it, you know. Um, you know, I was a pretty decent wrestler. My brother was good. And so everyone, my son's, on, he's almost two. And so everyone expects him to wrestle. They all talk about it like, oh, your boy's going to, and I'm like, eh, if he's into it, he's into it. But uh, I know that it's not for everyone. And like you said, if, if you're not into it, you're, you know, even if you love it sometimes, you know, um, it's, people say wrestling's fun. I'm like, ah, the only time I had fun was riding home on the bus after my, after it was over, um, you know, after we had won, you know, and the camaraderie of hanging out with your buddies, do you, do you still miss that part of it? Well, what was most fun to me was being in the wrestling room and wrestling with uh, guys, especially if somebody was pretty good to wrestle against. Um, uh, with respect to camaraderie, yeah, you, yeah, I miss that. Um, I, um, you know, the 1992 Olympic team was, I think there was, a bunch of guys that I sort of really liked. So it was neat for me being part of that team. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't the big superstar, so I didn't have to sort of shoulder the weight like John Smith or Bruce Bumgarner or Kenny Monday did. But it certainly was fun hanging out with those guys. Do you still stay in touch with some of them? Yeah, I stay in touch with Kenny. I try and call John Smith every now and then. He never returns my calls. Um, but, uh, and then, uh, Occasionally, I, I talk with Kevin. Um, let's see who else was on the team. Uh, Zeke Jones, Kevin Jackson, yourself, Kenny Monday, uh, John Smith. Yeah, Zeke. Uh, I've talked to uh, occasionally. Yeah. Are you still a fan of the sport? Do you watch it and stuff? You know, unfortunately, I haven't watched it. And 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 like um, to me, I don't like it. When I watched John Smith, he was just a beautiful wrestler. But that style of wrestling, uh, with everybody doing it, it's just boring to me because everybody's so low to the ground. Um, and I think it's unfortunate because when I was wrestling, um, we had to stand up and we had to contact to stay up so that you could do ankle sweeps, hip tosses, uh, throws, and stuff like that. You know, very close to what the mixed martial arts are right now. So I think it's such, was such a lost opportunity for us to sort of, basically, once you allow people to lower their head, you eliminate all of that, both fighting styles. Yeah. What would you say the uh, biggest difference was from your first world team in 1977 to 1992, other than obviously being older? Did you have to train differently and did you have a different mindset? 
Well, as I said before, I mean, I, in 1992, I probably couldn't wrestle more than two days a week. Um, but the biggest difference for me was that in 1992, if it was in 1991, I think I, I was an attorney in Syracuse, New York, and I uh, was uh, going to the world championships on my vacation time. Uh, so I was working out early in the morning. For lunch, I would uh, weightlift at the gym. And then after work, then I would go on and wrestle at Syracuse with a guy named Mark Kerr was up there at the time. So he was a really good guy for me to have there. Um, but once I won the world championships, in eight, and once I was second in the world in 1990, my boss comes in and says, look, Chris, uh, I thought he was going to say, cut it out. He said, look, we think you're very talented. We want to support you. So, so what they did was they gave me a $20,000 raise and they, um, they paid for all of my travel and so forth. So I went from 1977 when we had to sleep in barns in Switzerland, I think it was, because the AAU couldn't afford hotel rooms for us. I went from that to 1992, staying in five-star hotels with rental cars, convertibles, and, and traveling around the world whenever I wanted to train. So that's a big difference. Yeah. You said that you slept, they, they made you sleep in a barn? Yep. Yep. Wow. Harwood Haven, yeah. Because they couldn't afford hotels. That was 1977. <laughs> wow. I, you know, wrestlers today, I, I, I doubt they have any idea how uh, much you guys had to sacrifice to, to do what you loved back then. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, what was I going to ask you? What what what's your uh, what's your advice to somebody who has a small child? You know, like as far as as far well, as I mean, for me, what I tried to do with all my kids, uh, and you know, obviously my 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 first wife and then my second wife were, were really did most of it. Is to uh, give them opportunities to do a whole bunch of things, music. Uh, the arts, uh, sports, all kinds of sports, to to, so that they can get um, a feel for what what they're really good at, what they want to do. Um, because I I you know I went to Westfield High School in New Jersey, and it was a very supportive community. But I gravitated to what was my best thing. I think naturally, I think children will gravitate to their best things, but they got to be exposed to them. So I think exposing them to that and then not being critical because i mean if you have like asshole and i started i say that coaches you know these by way of the highway guys um they're just going to kill the kids the joy of the sport so you got to watch those coaches keep your kids away from them but expose them to to a lot of stuff that's what i think yeah i started when i was seven and and there was a lot of good kids growing up that they didn't even wrestle in high school because they got so burned out by by parents and and the way they acted and acting like winning was life and death and all that. And, right, right, and right. you know, if, if my son wants to wrestle, I'm just going to encourage him to get as good as he can at it and not worry so much about the winning and losing right away and, and, and all that stuff. And, um, yeah. So what did you do in the, in the years that you didn't, uh, that you didn't compete? Okay. So like from 77, um, and 78, 79, basically just injured and not in good shape. 80, of course, I made the Olympic team. 81, I won the World Championships. 82, I, my back was injured. 83, um, my back was still injured. In 84, I, uh, the week before the Olympic trials, I tore my cartilage in my knee, so that knocked me out of the Olympics in 84. Went to law school at Cornell University for three years. Graduated from Cornell in, uh, what did that, would that be, uh, 87? and went to work in Hartford, Connecticut for about seven months uh, with Carrier Corporation, United Technologies Carrier Corporation. Uh, after seven months at the corporate headquarters, they moved me to Carrier Corporation in Syracuse, New York. And of course, that's where Gene Mills at the time as assistant coach and Mark Kerr was a wrestler at the time. And that's when I started wrestling up again. Was it diff difficult for you like mentally during that time that you didn't, when you didn't wrestle? Um, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, when I wasn't wrestling, I was very unhappy. I, um, I didn't want to wake up in the morning. Uh, I mean, I was really, I guess you would say depressed Yeah. for quite a while. And I mean, it affected me in a lot of different ways. And so I didn't, I didn't start feeling better until I started wrestling again. And I think it was 1998, 1980, 1980, 1989. Okay. 
So you were able to take all that time off and still come back and, and get second in the world in 1990. Yeah, yeah, and I, again, I put that up to, I mean, I, I continued to do yoga. I continued to weight lift and stretch. Um, and, um, you know, so I didn't let my body fall apart. And I feel like I had really good coaching. So from a strategic standpoint, I wasn't making the mistakes. So I, my body didn't have to make up for my, my lack of proper technique. And then I got really good at front headlock, which is an old man's move. So I could take people out with that. Um, and I just, like I said, I was, I was just only happy when I was in the wrestling room. So that's where I wanted to be. How long did it take you after you retired in 1992? Was that a hard period for you, or were you satisfied with? Uh, well, in, in 1992, or after after Olympic Games, I broke my neck, and so I had to get fused, and, and I got my neck fused in four places, and not knocked me out uh, of the uh, or, or of competing again. But uh, for for a little while there, you know, I continued to try and work with wrestling, but I slowly moved away. Yeah. Were you able to uh, appreciate how, how awesome it was to, to get a bronze at the age that you did? Because you were almost 38, right? Yeah, I was a month away from my 30th birthday. Yeah. Um, I had always visioned myself as a gold medalist. And so in that respect, it was really, uh, really disappointing for me to get a bronze medal. Um, but as I look at it accurately with respect to uh, the style they were wrestling at the time and, and, and what I did, I was probably lucky to get a bronze at the time. Um, so, but now I look at it and I say, say, damn, Chris, I mean, that's pretty impressive. I doubt that anybody will be able to do that again. Um, so I, I think I appreciate, you know, what it took to get the bronze, although that's not the goal, but you know, and for me, I feel good about it because let's say if those guys were juicing, I never juiced. I never cheated in my wrestling. So what I got, I earned. It's the bronze medal, and yeah, I'm happy with it, you know, because I worked my ass off for that medal. Yeah. Well, you're a big dude, and, and you can obviously – when's the last time you wrestled? Like, do you still coach and stuff? Um, I, um, you know, I'm 66 now, so – I used to laugh at old guys when I was a wrestler trying to get on the mat to show you something, right? Because their bodies wouldn't move, right? And so forth. So I'm that guy now, <laughs> you know? So I, I don't try to get on the mat to show people how, how to wrestle. Although, if, I mean, if you want to know how to do a good front headlock, I can I help you out with that. Okay. Um, but I, I try and stay away from it because I, I had my hip replaced about two years ago. And so uh, the only thing I do if I go on the mat is get hurt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would have loved to have been coaching, but uh, yeah. wasn't in my. You could probably still defend yourself pretty well. Is that a good feeling to know that you know, even at sixty-six, you could probably kick the crap out of just about anybody? You know, I, I don't believe that anymore. I mean, I've got my neck that's hurt, so I got one arm that has got almost no strength in it. I got a hip that's replaced, so I can't move. So I just see myself as an invalid, and I got to be careful. Yeah, do you still do yoga and stuff? Yeah, I stretch a little bit, yeah, but um, I need to do more. Um, and that's like the one thing that I would really love to do now is to, but I'm working full-time as an attorney because I got to get my youngest daughter through, through college. Uh, it would be to go on a training regimen again, try and get back. I don't think I'd get back all the flexibility, but try and get back my flexibility, try and get back the strength as opposed to sitting down in a chair for eight hours a day you know, reading statutes and so forth and, and writing opinion. Uh, yeah. Now, I have grown to enjoy doing that part of that attorney work, and, and it took me a long time. I would say I didn't enjoy being an attorney until two years ago. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but I would, I would love to have the time to focus on my body like I did in, you know, 1992 and so forth. What kind of law do you practice? I, I, you know, I'm in the, I call myself in the financial industry. Uh, it's insurance defense. So in other words, let's say you get in a car accident or you're a contractor and you break somebody's house some way and then you have insurance. Well, the insurance company then hires me to represent you. So some of my clients have been like, I, 
represent Uber, uh, like for their car accident cases. Uh, I've represented uh, who else? A couple, of, a bunch of big companies through the insurance companies. Cool. Is that nerve wracking? Like, do you practice in the courtroom? Um, we we can do arguments. I, I have never done a a, a jury trial. Um, I've done a bench trial. I've argued motions in court. Um, in, in my business with insurance defense, most cases, I'd say 99.9% of them is settled before they go to trial. Because if you really look at the case, what happened in the law, I mean, it's pretty apparent what you do now. Sometimes you run into some hard-hit people who, who don't have a good case, and then you have to do what we call a summary judgment motion. So I brought a, a bunch of summary judgment motions in one. Um, I had a big case of my own in New York City where I sort of established uh, a case law with respect to uh, elder abuse cases. Um, and, it's, you know, I get calls every now and then from counsel wanting my briefs on my appellate argument. But, um, yeah. Did, were you the type of person that got nervous before you wrestled? Yeah. The only time I wasn't nervous before I wrestled was in 1980 when I, I just felt like I was going to beat the guy so bad, I felt sorry for him. But yeah. other, other than that, I, I definitely would get nervous. <laughs> I think it's great that you felt sorry for him because you were so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I had been in a situation where uh, through 77 through 89, um, people were sort of pushing me and get, getting me called for stalling. So I would take a guy down two or three times, and then I would get called for stalling three or four times. So the score would be like 5-4, and then, or I get cautioned out or whatever. And I, I didn't feel it was fair. And so in 1979, I was like, I, I said, you know what, screw it. I'm just gonna get in such good shape. I'm gonna beat, beat the crap out of everybody. It doesn't matter what the coaches, the, the rest do. And um, that's what I did. And I'm actually kind of proud of myself for not quitting because I really thought, well, these guys are going to, uh, you know, take away uh, my wins. I should just quit. I said, no, I'm just going to beat him to death. Uh, yeah. So, Well, that's awesome. Uh, do you still stay in, coach, in contact with uh, Coach Gable? You know, we talk from time to time, and I talk with Jay Robinson from time to time, and I like to stay in contact with Stan Desert. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, well, I won't take any more of your time on your birthday, but I, I just wanted to tell you that, I, you know, I used to, you know, back in the day, you could only look in USA Wrestler and uh, to find, you know, sometimes you'd have, you wouldn't find out the results of the world championships for a full month after the, after the world championships were over. And you're, you're an absolute legend. And it's just an honor to me to, to, that you took the time to do this. And I, I really appreciate it. And uh, you're one of the best ever. And, and uh, just super cool to be able to talk to you. So I really appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. You bet. Is there anything you uh, want to say before we get out of here? No, I think I'm good. Go Hawks, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I was really heartbroken for them this last year because they were definitely the favorites. And and uh, I, I don't know if you're paying attention to the college season, but um, they, they, they definitely were the front runners. And, and it was going to be cool to see them, you know, hopefully win a title because they hadn't won one in a while. Right. I mean, that's, um, that was really sad. And I guess with a couple of sen seniors, too, who were looking for their third or fourth, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really disappointing. And, and I guess the NCAA is not going to give them a chance to come back. Is that right? Yeah. They're not, uh, they, what they did was they just took the top, I think they took the top eight ranked people and just made them all Americans. And, you know, there were some people that were undefeated and, and, and didn't get a chance to, to see if they were the, you know, the best guy in the country. And, and I can't imagine, you know, not being able to do that. I, I had a pretty weird high school career and, and I ended up going undefeated my senior year, but it was still, it, it, I can't imagine if I hadn't have gotten that opportunity, you know, if they had just taken it away from me like that. So uh, I really felt for them, but hopefully this year will happen and we'll, we'll see what happens with, uh, with the season. I haven't heard any, I haven't heard, I haven't been paying much attention to it lately either with my son and everything. It's been difficult, but um, I, I hope they get to have a season this year, but. Well, I could definitely relate to him because, you know, obviously in 1980, uh, yeah. took it away from me. So it's, it's, it's devastating, except for, for me, it was 
idiot, idiotic reasons to take it away. Uh, with respect to these guys, I think it's, there was good reasons to take it away, but still disappointing. Yeah. The only thing I heard political in my house growing up was that my dad hated Jimmy Carter for lowering the speed limit, and now I have a whole new reason to not like Jimmy Carter. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. Here's the a, a sad, sad part. Talk about uh, time. My, uh, my family, uh, my ancestors were slaves of Jimmy Carter's ancestors. Oh, wow. Yeah. We did our, we were our tree went back. We, we did that. So, so this guy, so not only did his, his, his relative sort of destroy the lives of, of my relatives, but he really just took away. So the most important thing in my, in my world at the time as yeah. well. Well, what a story though, that, you know, that your ancestors and what you came from and, and ultimately becoming the best in the world. I mean, that is, uh, you know, that, that's one of the best stories ever. So. Well, it was a fun ride. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you doing this, sir. And, uh, you know, God bless you and your family. And I and, uh, hope everything's going well for you. Uh, I know you're in California, too, but are you in Northern California? Yeah, I'm in San Francisco area. We, we had some really bad uh, air. Worried about your house burning down. It's just a matter of time with the climate change. It's just a matter of time before everything burns over here. Yeah. Wow. We'll, uh, we'll say a prayer for you, and, uh, you know, thank you so much for doing this, and, and uh, I'll let you know when it's out, and maybe you can put it on your Facebook page. Sounds great, Tim. Appreciate okay. it. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That was uh, Chris Campbell, absolute legend and uh, legend of the sport, and a great dude, and I love talking to these guys. And as always, uh, go to makingithappen.com, M-A-C-A-N, ithappen.com. Help out, excuse me, help out little Bo Macon and his family and uh subscribe to my youtube channel and uh god bless all of you thanks for uh tuning in and uh i'm not sure who's on next week but uh i don't think i have a wrestler scheduled next week but anyway i really appreciate you guys supporting the channel and myself and uh god bless all of you take care bye do us both a favor and click on that subscribe button